Philistine, take you 12 men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of that place where the priest's feet stood firm, 12 stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Joshua called the 12 men whom he prepared for the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take up every man of you a stone on his shoulder. That means it wasn't a little stone. It was a big stone he had to carry on your shoulder. According to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. that When you, your children, ask your, their fathers in the time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? And you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Skipping down to verse 19. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan and did Joshua pitch, he put up in Gilgal. Amen. I want to preach to you today from this title, uh, The Risk of Respite. The Risk of Respite. If you're not sure what respite is, it's a fancy word for taking a break. That really didn't flow with the risk of taking a break. So the risk of respite is it is. And... uh, Why don't we go before the Lord together. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you, God, for this time, this opportunity. We can come into your presence, God. We ask you, Lord, to anoint our ears, our hearts, to receive your word. Break up the fallow ground of our heart. Lord, that we may receive it, God, and we may be doers and not just hearers of your word. We give you all the praise and glory today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated today. I don't normally have uh, my Sunday sermons be a continuation and build off one another. Try to reserve those series and connected messages for our midweek Bible study on Thursday night at 7.30. If you want to come for that, where we dive deeper into the Word of God and, and, and take our time there. But in seeking the Lord for the message today, I felt a strong urging in my spirit to continue on. And to not stop here uh, and to keep on going, building off of last week's message about the the report, the river, and the reward, um, and the weeks of sacrifice that we had leading up to last week. And so after inquiring God about last week for our GPS location in the spirit, he, he brought us to the report, the river, and the reward. And we had a witness in the spirit of God doing wonders among us as Allie testified about her co-worker's uh, miracle in the the hospital. And so, which I believe opened up the river for us to cross over into a new dimension of supernatural dominion and authority. Anyone believe that with me? That God's got great things for us. We're moving forward where God wants us to be. Amen. Which no doubt happened. Because of our hunger and our commitment of sacrifice and pledging of prayer 
in the weeks before time. And so we came together as a body and in one mind, one spirit, and we made a concerted effort to push through any type of barriers that may be around us and preventing us from going forward and breaking down any strongholds in our lives. And I know that God was merciful to us and he blessed us. But what now? Now that we've stepped into the river and the waters has begin, begun to dry up, what do we do now? Where do we go from here do we stay here? Do we keep pressing forward in the spirit? Do we take a, a respite? Do we take a break in what we're doing? There is no doubt that some of us, and I hope that most of us right now are in a good place with God. I hope it's in a new place with God. A new place, a new level, some place that you've never been before because if you've already been here, and that means you must have backslid somewhere. Slid and backwards, falling from a place where we were once in God, and if now we're back here, uh, that means at some point we got a little bit lax in our devotion and our consecration, and we allowed distractions to come in and, and, and pull us away from our focus on God, and we kind of slid backwards and we not even realize it. That's how backsliding works. We, if we realize it, do you think we would say, oh, I'm sliding backwards. Let's keep going. We don't realize it. It's that subtle. And so if that is you and you are back again at the place where you once were, then you need to congratulate yourself because you're on the right track. You're no longer sliding backwards, but you're moving forward, and that's where we all need to be. We all need to be moving in that direction, moving forward in God, amen, headed forward and not backwards, especially nowadays. We don't need to be going backwards. To those who are walking on fresh ground for the first time, those who are seeing new things and feeling new unctions and callings and pollings in the spirit. I, I rejoice with you because you are a, a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I know that we use that verse to describe the, the transition that one makes from the kingdom of darkness moving into the kingdom of light because truly we are transformed by the power of God out of that kingdom of darkness. We do become a new creature. All those things, that old lifestyle has passed away and we do become somebody new, born again of the water and of the spirit. And if you're here today and you've never experienced that wonderful power of being born again, being baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, where God touches you and you know without a shadow of a doubt that God fills you with his spirit because you begin to utter things. You begin to speak things you've never had. If you've never done that today, God is here. And if you want that, I believe that God will fill you with his spirit. Amen. It begins with a walk of faith and it begins by repenting of our sins, saying, God, I'm sorry. All the things you've done. Not living a godly life. And with a true heart of repentance, God will fill you with his spirit. In that process of being born again, I believe that you can be born again after be born again. I mean, I want to keep on being born again. Amen. I don't want to be stuck on one person. Every, every time you step into a new dimension, 
I believe you're born again. You're somebody different than you used to be. You're not that little child who, who just came out of the water and the, and the word of God and you didn't really know much, but now you're somebody new. You're transformed. You're a new creature because you're not the same person that you used to be a while ago, so something happened in you. Because to even reach a new level in God, you can't be that same old person. Doesn't matter how long you've been in church, if you want to go to a new level, a new dimension in God, you've got to change something about yourself. You've got to lay something down and say, God, I'm ready to go to a deeper walk with you. What do I need to get rid of? What do I need to get out of my life? What strongholds do I need to tear down in my life? And if you want to go somewhere new with God, you've got to get rid of your old self. Even if you just got a new self last week. And so in order to reach that elevation in the spirit, growth must happen. Not a, a wider growth and you don't gain a, a more, of, more of a birth, but a taller growth. You stand taller in the spirit than you used to. You used to wear a certain size of armor in the spirit, but now God's giving you a bigger size of armor. Why? Because you're growing in God. You're growing in God, and you know how to work things, and, and you know how to kill the enemy and, and bind the enemy and pull down strongholds. And so God's got to give you, you're graduating, so you got to get some stronger armor because you know how to fight. Since you've outgrown those, you need a covering that fits you, and God gives you a new covering at every level, a new anointing, a new fresh outpouring of His Spirit. Uh, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to His power, and you realize that what you thought you knew, you didn't really know much. The problem is we, get, we, we start hitting a ceiling in our life. We think we've reached the top. We know everything. But until you, you, you seek the face of God and you sacrifice and you get down and say, God, I need some more in you. I need to go deeper in you. And you break through that barrier and you realize, you're looking back, man, I didn't know anything. And I thought I knew everything. That's what happens. And that's what, hap that's what keeps a lot of people from going to the next level is because we think we've reached the top. But the top of a level is really the bottom of the next but we have to humble yourself and say, I don't know anything, and you start back down. That's the hard part, saying, oh, I don't know anything. Start me down at the bottom again, Lord, and help me learn, break everything in my life, and help build me up uh, according to the word of God. And so every place, every covering uh, that God gives you is because you're, you're, you're growing in God. And when David went out to feed his brothers who were at battle, in the battlefield, what happened was he just kind of ended up becoming a giant killer. He had no plans of, of entering the battlefield that day. He just said, I'm just obeying my father's commands to go feed my brothers. And so uh, I'm here just to give you guys some bread and cheese and that's it. And, and what happened is that he, David ended up being a, ki a, a giant killer. You never know what can happen. If you're just being obedient to the word of God, you just submit yourself to, to the God's power and his authority. You never know. You can just walk out and become a giant killer the next moment because God is walking with you. And if you walk with him, he'll take you to places you, can, you can't reach on your own. It's another problem we think is that we can reach everywhere on our own strength, our own ability, our own talents. But we come to a dead end real quick. Uh, and the sooner we realize that, the sooner... Man, God can tear down those barriers. And so you can see how God can elevate someone 
just because he came to serve his brothers. I believe that if we truly learn what it means to serve one another and to prefer our brothers and our sisters and to pray for them and to encourage them and to rejoice when they rejoice and to weep when they weep, I believe that there is a hidden blessing in serving one another because that's all David came to do. I just came here to serve my brothers and God said, hey, go take down that giant and your name gets elevated throughout the whole kingdom. Uh, The elevation comes through serving one another. And if we can learn to serve one another, Amen. God can open doors in our lives that we didn't even realize were there. So when David went out to face Goliath, Saul gave David his armor and he said, hey, you need to wear this. Otherwise, you're not going to stand a chance. And so David, being the uh, humble servant that he was, he put on it. Okay, I put, I'll put this on, King, King Saul. And he put it on and he said, I can't wear this. I can't wear this out on the battlefield because I haven't proven it. I, I'm not used to this kind of, of, of armor, of, this, uh, of these shields. And uh, Now physically, the armor was too big for, Dan, for David because the Bible tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest when he was anointed king. And uh, who knows how tall David was, but he probably wasn't as tall as Saul. And so Saul's armor was fit for him. And so when he gives it to uh, some young teenage boy, say, put on this armor, you can see why he says, I can't, I can't walk out there in this. I'll trip and die and be killed right away. But while Saul's physical armor might have been too big for David, Saul's anointing was too small for David. Saul's anointing was way below David's anointing, and that's what that's what really what David says. I can't walk out there with your anointing, Saul. I'll get killed. Because my anointing, God has called me to a level that's so much higher than you even realize. The anointing, the, the mantle that David wore was too big for Saul, and Saul couldn't handle David's anointing. And while David may have been the smallest man on the battlefield that day, not a single man could have picked up David's mantle and put it on. It was too big for all of them. David is the one that stood head and shoulders above every man out there in the spirit. There's not a man that stood taller than that little boy, David. And he had already been with God. He had already reached higher dimensions and surpassed others in spiritual growth. Because at one level, the barrier to his belief was not a river as we've been talking about, but it was a lion. A lion came out after David and after his sheep. And the anointing of God that came upon David helped him slay that lion there that day. But David didn't stop there. He didn't kick back and relax and and take a, a respite. He kept moving forward and growing in God. And guess what? The next level of spiritual dominion for David came when he faced a bear. Now, a bear, I don't know the size difference, but a bear is probably three, four, five times the size of a lion. Much bigger animal to grab a hold of and kill. And so, just like he did with the lion, David rose to the occasion and he defeated that bear with the anointing of God that God gave him. But those two battles paved the way for David to meet Goliath. 
Had he not defeated the lion and the bear, he would not have been ready to meet Goliath and to run towards him in the battlefield. That's what he did. He ran at the giant. How many people run at giants? Most people just stand there in fear and shaking as the whole army of Israel did. But David said, I'm just going to run right at you. The man lost his mind. Either that or he was on a different level than everyone else. Because he wasn't intimidated by the size of Goliath. And so the only reason that David ran towards Goliath is because he was 100% confident that Goliath was going down. Why else would you run at a giant? Why else would you run at your enemy unless you were for certain knowing that that enemy is going down? And that confidence that David derived was from slaying the lion and the bear when no one else was around. He did that all by himself. Nobody was around. Nobody even knew until he told Saul that day, hey, I killed a lion and a bear. I don't need this armor. I didn't have this armor when I killed that lion, so I don't need it now. How many of us killed a lion with our bare hands? We'd be on Facebook right away. We had wished we had a GoPro to strap it on so we can capture it all. David wasn't like that. He killed it and he didn't tell anybody. Killed the bear, didn't tell anybody. And so all of that confidence that he had was from defeating that lion and the bear. And the truth is that everyone would love to defeat Goliath. On center stage while everyone is watching, tear down that giant. But the truth is, If you can't defeat your private battles, if you can't defeat the lion when nobody knows, then you're not going to be ready for Goliath, center stage. If you can't slay the bear while nobody is watching, then you won't be ready for Goliath when everyone is watching. And the mistake that people make is they think, oh, I'll just... I'll put on a good show, a good performance while everyone is watching, thinking that we'll slay giants while everyone's watching. But the truth is, it doesn't happen that way. The real battle is when no one is watching. That's where the lion's waiting for you. That's where the bear's waiting for you. And if you can defeat the lion and if you can defeat the bear, then you'll be running at any giant that you've seen. You're not going to care about the people around you. Why? Because God has anointed you for that time, anointed you for that battle, and you're confident that Goliath is going down only because you've already won the battles in private that no one else knew. We can say that the lion represents Satan and the spirits of darkness, the ones that we read about, Hell's 12 Apostles and many more, uh, can represent the lion. Because doesn't the Bible say that isn't Satan like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? And so if the spirit of heaviness or fear or whoredom or pride or any of the spirits that we read about and that are out there, if they come to attack you when you are alone, and you can't defeat them by yourself, how confident and how prepared will you be to go face Goliath? But if you have the Holy Ghost and you're speaking in tongues and 
God has given you power over all the enemy. That's what his word says. And so we just have to learn to humble ourselves enough through prayer and fasting and consecration so that the power will flow through us so that you will defeat whatever spirit comes to attack you. Why? Because God's given you the power and the authority to do that. You just have to figure out how to use it, how to defeat those enemies. And so if you don't learn to do that when no, you are all alone and by yourself, you're not going to be able to do it when Goliath comes your way. A bear represents, bear represents our flesh because your flesh is a bear. The appetite of your flesh. Every single day you kill, you, you kill it and it wakes up the next day. Can't get rid of it. The appetite of your flesh is like a bear. It's just atrocious. It just wants everything that is ungodly in this world. And so getting dominion over your flesh is accomplished by fasting and by prayer. And so your flesh, that bear, is something that you have to learn to conquer all by yourself. I can't get dominion over your flesh. It's not, that's not how it works. The church can't come together and cast out your carnality. We'll, we'll pray for you and cast out any spirit, but we can't cast your flesh off. And so that bear is a battle that you have to defeat all by yourself. All alone, nobody's watching, nobody's there clapping, saying, yeah, go, go, Phil, you can do it. Nobody's there to do that. It'd be a lot easier if, if you had a, a, a crowd there cheering you on, but that's not how it works. The private battles are where the real war is won in your life. If you really want to live for God, it's not showing up here at the church and, and praising God and, and singing a few songs and walking out of here good and feeling good. That's not where the battle is. We come here to get refreshed and renewed and experience the power of God here. But the real battle is when you go back home and you're all alone. That's where the lion's waiting for you. That's where the bear wakes up every morning and growls at you. That's where you have to defeat your Goliath is out there when no one is watching you all by yourself. That's where the confidence and the authority comes from to take down any giant. And so if you can't get control over your flesh and spend time in prayer, then you're not ready to kill any giant. And that is something that each of us have to fight for. Because when the body assembles and gets together, determined to make a big push together, a big stride forward like we've done here in recent weeks, the momentum that we create in the spirit can really, can, can really sweep everyone along. It's like a tidal wave. If you're in the way of it, you're going. Whether you want to or not, uh, the, the tidal wave just moves forward and, and the, the momentum can sweep everyone along. Even the most carnal Christian among us can get shoved forward a little bit. You can ride the wave and advance across the river too. That's fine. That's great. But once we've crossed and the river and the wave dives down and our feet start stepping on fresh mud, fresh land that we've never been before, the momentum resides and starts falling back, and the, the torch, the fire, that momentum is now given back to you as an individual. Our corporate fast is over. 
our corporate push is over. And will you let some waves of momentum keep pushing you forward? Or will you slide back into the way you've always been? We can make a big push as a church and all move forward. But after that push is over, it's on you to keep going forward. It's on each and every one of us to say, hey, I'm not going to let this fire die in my life. I'm not going to let the fire dim down in my home. I've got to keep pushing forward. I've got to keep moving in the spirit and keeping sacrificing and keep, in, keep fasting to keep this thing alive. When Joshua and Israel were crossing the Jordan River, the Lord told them to take 12 stones out of the riverbed and to carry them to the other side. Um, and we see in verse 6 of our text this may, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Uh, then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Verse 19 we read, the people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal, the east border of Jericho. And these 12 stones, which they took out of Jordan, Joshua did pitch in Gilgal. And so as soon as they crossed the river, they got the momentum, to the, the opening of the spirit door, and they walked across the, the river. They took those stones and they built up that memorial in Gilgal, the first place they came to. Now they were meant to be a memorial to remind them of what God had done in their midst that day. To never forget where, what God did that time or that, that prayer meeting or that, that moment of, of consecration now. How the rivers just kind of dried up. And so they set up those stones in the first place they came. On the other side in this new ground, new territory was a place called Gilgal. Gilgal was the first place in the promised land. Gilgal marked a beginning. A new beginning, a new starting point of Israel's sovereignty and rule as a nation. Gilgal marked the starting point of a new dimension for them. They had never been there before. They had made a big push and got across there, and now there they are. And so in Gilgal, they stepped into a greater anointing. It was a turning point in their walk with God, and it was marked by a 12-stone memorial. Gilgal, the beginning of it all. In Hebrew, Gilgal means a wheel rolling. A wheel rolling. What happens when, to a wheel when it starts to roll? It, in the beginning, it may be... Uh, a little slow and getting going in the starting place, but once it starts picking up speed, that wheel starts rolling and rolling and rolling. Pretty soon, it starts rolling faster and taking up more ground and, and picks up more and more speed and, and more and more momentum. And after it's going, you don't want to be in the way of that wheel rolling, do you? And so anything that is rolling has momentum and will plow through and destroy anything in its path. That described Israel perfectly. Once they crossed over that Jordan River, once they crossed over that barrier into the promised land, their first night was in Gilgal, and God said to Joshua, Joshua, let's get this wheel rolling. 
and waited long enough. Let's get this wheel rolling. And it took six days of walking around Jericho, but on the seventh day, they finally had that momentum that caught up with them, and all that they needed was just a little nudge to get rolling. All they needed was a little time of consecration, a, a time of focused prayer, more devoted time to God, and then they marched around and they watched the walls of Jericho come crashing down. And there was not any enemy that could stand before the nation of Israel. Why? Because they got the wheel rolling. They had momentum going and God was on their side. Fear fell on everyone in the land because nobody, nobody in their right mind would even attempt to defeat Jericho with walls like that. Nobody has ever been to tear down the walls of Jericho, but somehow we heard Israel did. And so Israel was on the move and conquering enemies and conquering lands, taking hold of the promises of God. They had momentum and they had God on their side. Every place that the, their foot of their soul, the sole of their foot would rest upon, God would give to them. And as we know, we've consecrated ourselves we did for two weeks with intense reading and devotion to God, preparing our hearts and our homes for God to visit us, and he, he surely has, and, and led us through the river into a, a new realm of the Spirit. And I, I pray that each of us have made a memorial of this past time, uh, this late night prayer meeting, and all that we did together and uh, arriving at that place. I pray we've made a memorial of that, and that may be a turning point for you. May your, con may your consecration unto the Lord uh, be worthy of that. May you be stepping onto new ground each and every day because we as a church body made a push forward and we crossed over the river that God opened to us. Be be beginning in Gilgal, starting with that wheel rolling so that the momentum of the Spirit will lead us into greater things. But until we come together again, and make another concerted push together as a, a body of Christ where we, we, we join in together as a corporate fast and corporate prayer time and special devotion unto God. Until we do that again, the momentum, the flame, the torch is to be carried by each and every one of us. We take that momentum and its excitement that is garnered by us all together on the battlefield, that flame that God came down and, and ignited in our lives. We now take that and return to our homes, back to our private life, back to our hillside. Where we kick back our feet and enjoy our respite. After all, we've earned it, right? I mean, we're fasting two weeks and consecrating to God and uh, we deserve a, a respite, we deserve uh, a, a taking a break, a, a time to sit back after persevering and pushing through uh, all of that, we certainly do, but we can't forget about the risk of respite. When we return back to our homes alone, we are where the lion and the bear roam. And if we aren't sober and vigilant as we are commanded to be, 
then guess what? That old bear will come back. That old habit can easily be picked back up. And the forward momentum can be lost as our lives slowly return to the way it was before, before our two weeks of consecration. Let me ask you, God brought us to Gilgal, a a, a new turning point in the spirit, a a new place, the place of a wheel rolling full of momentum. And we've been here now for a week. And how are things in your life after a week of getting over that big push we had? Is the fire still burning in your life like it was two weeks ago? Is the momentum of it all still carrying us and pushing us forward? Or have we taken a respite and slowly allowed things just to kind of trickle back to the way that they used to be three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whenever it was? Musicians, if you would come. Is there any visible change still evident in our lives today? Is there any change in our devotion, in our walk with God, or or are we picking up the fragments of the weights and habits that we laid down at the altar a few weeks ago? Either the memorial stones will be a turning point, marking the place of no return, where we are going, where we are not going back to the way things used to be. Or the memorial stones just become something we get together and do every now and then. No real change is made. No no real permanent change is made in our soul. Uh, Any future progress is lost because we let the momentum drain out during our respite. And I'm, I'm not up here trying to say we, we don't. We shouldn't take breaks and, and, and rest and relax and enjoy those things. That's, we need to do that physically. We can't, we can't always give 110% like we, like we do when we come together for those corporate fasts and meetings. But uh, we can't give 110% all the time. But after the battle, after we cross over and the, the big push is done, are we giving 100% or are we 40%? Because it's over. Yeah, it's over. That was fun. Go back to the way things used to be. And if we do that, are we not in some aspect crossing back over the river? Because before we cross the river, we're told to sanctify and consecrate ourselves. And so we got rid of stuff, stopped doing things, and got rid of these things. Why? For two weeks, we're going to focus on on God, and he's going to lead us and and meet us and guide us and open doors in our life. And we finally get across, and we say, oh, that was fun. Let me go back. What was I doing on the other side of the river? Let's let let all that stuff back into my life now. Now, I'm not saying, uh, you know. Everything has to be done and get rid of. But the the risk of respite is just going back to the other side of the river. Going back to that life. Even three, four weeks ago, I'm not saying it was a horrible, sinful life. But if you want to continue moving forward in, in God and reaching new levels and dimensions, some things have to be left on the other side of the river. 
Some things can't pass through the river. Some things God says, hey, I, I don't want you to take this anymore. I want you to lay this down. I want you to put this on the altar because where I'm calling you, where I'm pulling you, you don't need this. This will become a hindrance or a distraction to you. And so I want you to consecrate yourself and leave it on the other side of the river. The risk of respite is that without even realizing it, we pick up things that we laid on the other side of the river. The things we had to let down in order to get over here, get a fishing pole and try to hook it, snag it back and bring it over. And so we went on a two-week media fast to get across the river. Now that we've crossed, how does that look in your life now? Again, I'm not saying everything has to be permanently removed. Maybe God's asking you to do that. I don't know, but where we are today versus a month ago, I hope there's a, a change. And I know there's a change, and uh, we got to guard that change. Otherwise, that, that old ways are going to be drawing us back in. The, 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 the old giants, the old lion, the old bear will still be pulling that back if we don't let it die and leave it on the other side of the river. Uh, and so has there been any change, or have we just returned to the way things have been? And therefore, everything that we've done is just, it's just temporary. Why go through two weeks of of consecration and, and dedication and devotion and sacrifice if it's just temporary and you just go back to the way things have always been. Isn't that kind of wasting our time? And so I know there's been a change in every one of our hearts, but I'm here today to tell us that we need to guard that. We need to be on the lookout because that, that change that we're making and we have made in our life, the devil does not want that change to be permanent. He wants that to become temporary and where we go back the way things used to be. And just because you take a risk, respite doesn't mean that things just stop for you. We'll take a break, but that doesn't mean the enemy says, oh, there's a timeout. Okay, we'll come back next week. And so... I, I know there's been a change in us, and I pray that it, it becomes a permanent change. Whether, what, what, whatever it is in your life, God calls and asks each of us different things. But I pray that there is a permanent change and that we just don't uh, forget about it and we have to pay folk, special focus uh, attention on it because it's something that we recently gave up to get where we're at. And if we don't, if we don't pay attention to it, pretty soon we'll be picking that up that old habit without even realizing it because we used to do it. Or we used to spend that much time uh, a month ago on with entertainment or media or whatever that was. And, and if we're not careful, uh, the time that we gave up to get here, we'll just slip back into that time and all progress would be lost. So we have to guard any changes that is made during a respite. But the risk of it is we just forget about it and not even think. And so our, our consecration before the river still needs to have some effect after the river. Our media habits before the river uh, should be different than our media habits after the time of consecration. Because otherwise, momentum would be lost. Progress can be halted. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves back on the other side of the river hoping for God to do something great in us. When God says, I did, 
I took you to a new land, new, 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 new ground and, and new levels. But we didn't guard the gifts and the openings and the opportunities that God gives us. And so that's what we have to do. We have to be extra on guard. It's actually more dangerous after the big event, after the big battle. It's more dangerous because people can slip back. If you stand with me today. 2 Samuel 11. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David, David tarried still at Jerusalem. David sent everyone ahead. This is the time kings go to war. You guys go without me. I'm staying back. I'm taking a respite. I I deserve a break. The mighty giant slayer said, I need a respite. I need a break from all this fighting. You guys go on and fight. I'm going to kick it back. And so David stayed behind the mighty warrior while everyone else was at battle. And you guys keep keep it going and you guys keep the fire going and you guys keep on praying and and keep consecrating to to God I'm gonna take a break I'm gonna stay behind just for a little bit just a little bit and what happened to King David when he didn't stay engaged and he thought that everyone was off fighting the battle But in reality, the battle came to him. And the risk of respite is just that. We let our guard down. We aren't as watchful as we were, and we don't have our armor on like we like we were a few weeks ago. We're uh, we're on the lookout. We're looking for any movement, any devil, any spirit, ready to cast it out and take the meaning over it and bind it and loose it. But but what happens after that big push is over? We can say, oh, that was that was great. And so, the lion and the bear returned seeking after David and while he was on his respite and and you know the story that mighty mighty giant slayer fell but no one was looking because he got complacent he thought that he had attained and uh, reached the level that he, they, this, is, uh, this is it for me, and says, I'm going to kick things back, and uh, I'm just not going to be on guard as I used to be. So the lion and the bear returned that he once slew, and they came back and they slew him. And oh, the, the danger in that of a respite, because if we're not on guard and we get chopped down and then if we fall that usually means others are in danger as well 
We're not in this alone. We have to fight our individual battles, but we are a body of Christ. And if, if one member falls, and that guess what? We're even more vulnerable because somebody else was kicking back and not paying attention, and the lion and the bear came in and got him. David, because, because you decided to kick back and not engage, you ended up murdering one of your mighty men, Uriah. The man who gave his life to you. The man who would go and fight for you and, and, and would go out by himself if he had to at the request of the king. Uriah would have did anything for David. And because David got lax and got lazy, he ended up killing his own man because he allowed the lion and the bear to take him. The mighty giant slayer fell and others got injured because of it. And as I mentioned last week, the same thing happened to Achan. Achan was with Joshua and the Israelites when they consecrated themselves. Achan was right there in the middle, devoting himself to God. He was there when they walked through the Jordan River. He was there at Gilgal when they were putting the stones together, when the wheel of momentum started rolling. He was there at the siege of Jericho and watched the walls come down. But it seems that during the big push, at some point, Achan got a little lazy. He told himself, ah, I deserve this. I deserve a respite. I deserve a break. And he let his guard down and he let some things back in his life, things that he left on the other side of the river that before he consecrated himself, he let those things back in. And then what happened was all the momentum that Israel had came to a screeching halt because Achan thought the fighting was over. And he thought that his individual battle didn't really matter much. No one will see this. And we can learn from David and Achan that the fighting is not really over. That the battle, the real battle is not when everyone is watching here. The real battle, this is when we all walk in like, in like we're, we're, we're supernatural giants and we're doing all these great things. We have to put it up, put the show on. But what happens really at home when no one is watching that's where the real battle is when nobody is watching. The real battle's not here on Sunday when we kill giants together, but the real battle is always, will always be where the lion and the bear dwell, and that is at your hillside. That is in your prayer closet. That is in your home, in your personal life when nobody knows, nobody's watching. That's where the real battle is. I know God has brought us to this place, but I know that He does not want us to stay here, but He wants us to keep pushing forward, and we have to be on guard at all times, and not, not just taking a break after things are over. Because doesn't, are we commanded that be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It doesn't give a time frame on that. It doesn't say, oh, he's roaring, roaming around at this day and this day and this season the devil's always on the loose and when we kick things back we think it's all over 
I'm just going to take a break. But really, that's when the, dare, the, the bear shows up. That's where that lion shows up. And I don't want those things to, to, to stop the momentum that God has given us. I want to keep on moving forward. But we have to stay on guard, stay watchful, stay prayerful. Come on, let's do that. Let's bind together. Let's seek the face of God. God, help us. Help us, Lord, not to forget, God, what we've done, what we've consecrated, what we've committed to you. Come on, these altars are open. You want to seek the face of God here. You want to seek him at your seat. God, help us not to forget, God, not to become lukewarm again, God. Stir us again, God. Pour out your spirit upon us again today, Jesus. Revive us again, God. The battle is not over. Every day we got to get up. Hallelujah. Make us a house of prayer. But we don't forget. We don't fall asleep. Lord, he's calling us. There's greater things in store. We got to bind together. We got to be strong. Individually and as a body. A house of prayer. We can do it. Hallelujah. Lord, make me a house. Make me a make house us, Lord. of prayer. Help us not to forget. A house of prayer. Lord, renew us today. Revive us today. Wake up the giant killers again.